Sounders, keep your shades anchored and where they belong during life's greatest feats. Head to soundergoods.com and use promo code KTTC to get 10% off and free shipping with any order. You're listening to the Keef to the City podcast. Here's Neil Keith. All right, the Yankees return home after a 10-game, 10-day road trip. The off day on Monday, uh, they get a little break here. It's the last time they have to travel outside the Eastern time zone, and now they return home for three games against the Red Sox, three games against the Blue Jays, and it sort of has flip-flopped uh, as the season's gone on and on which games would be important as the, the Red Sox series looks like a chance for the Yankees to sort of extend their league in the division, and the, the Blue Jays series will be the most anticipated series at the stadium uh, this season. But with the Red Sox in town for three games, uh, joining me today is Rob Bradford of WEI and WEI.com up in Boston. He's sort of the go-to guy up there for everything Red Sox. You can find him on the internet. You can hear him on the radio, uh, listen to his podcast. He's everywhere in Boston. Rob, how's it going today? It's going great. What a letdown. The Red Sox coming to town. Huh? <laughs> you get the Blue Jays. You get all these games you're looking forward to. And then you have the Red Sox coming to town. <laughs> well, it's funny because going into this season, just like every season and when the schedule comes out in the next month or so, I'll look ahead to Yankees-Red Sox in 2016 and sort of uh, plan what games could be important and what might not be. And uh, after the last two years where the Yankees battled injuries and uh, an abundance of injuries and a, and a great deal of underachievers, uh, here they are now with a, a pretty comfortable lead right now in the division and something they haven't had really since 2012. And the Red Sox, uh, you know, the, the almighty Red Sox, picked by just about everybody in the world to, to win the East. Uh, even a, a good handful of people had them going back to the World Series and winning it. Uh, and after these free agent signings that predicted them to be the best offense in the AL, if not the entire league, it's it's looking a lot and feels like a lot like 2011 again. Yeah, it's worse. <laughs> yeah, it's as far as it feels like maybe September 2011, but you know, 2012, 2014, you name it been a lot of this lately for them and you're right i think that there was some anticipation coming in that certainly that a lot of people felt that the offense was going to be good enough to make up for whatever the, the starting rotation was lacking because there was some doubt there coming into the year and as it turns out there should have been doubt all over the place and, and this is everything that could gone wrong has gone wrong for them and you know it's just it's, it's just been a bizarre year and you go you talk about the yankees and red sox you go back to right before the All-Star break, and the Red Sox are actually winning some games. And that last game where you could, if you're the Red Sox, you can crawl within four and a half games heading in the All-Star break, and you lose it. That was the one. That was the one that you, now you have the All-Star break. You come out of the All-Star break, you get swept two straight times, and then you're pretty much out of it. And, you know, that that one, the Yankees, I think, showed that, that they were just a better team than the Red Sox. And really, they're a better team than most of the American League East, certainly at that point. Yeah, and you, you talk about how everything has seemed to have gone wrong, and I go back to 2013 because that was a season where after the collapse of 2011, they hadn't been in the playoffs since 2009, the Bobby Valentine disaster in 2012, and then 2013, they sort of had, you know, they had a, a decent roster, but they needed to hit the biggest parlay, have everyone stay healthy, have everyone perform you know, to, to their prime or even better to, to stay in it. Um, they got big hit after big hit in the playoffs, and 
for a season that everything went right, it seems like they're sort of getting payback from the baseball gods now because of what happened two years ago. Yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, everything did go right. And, and you know, the short-term contracts, everyone had good years on those contracts. They had a good mixture of guys. But one thing that, you know, that I think that certainly if you want to identify one thing that was different and, and made a huge difference was that they could ride John Lester through that 2013 John Lackey, Clay Buckles for half the year was really, really good. And then by the time that he was hurt, he went out and said Jake Peavy. So you had guys who were able to get through with that starting rotation this year from the get-go, and, and, and they didn't have anyone to lead that staff. And, and I think that's the, well, the many lessons that the Red Sox have learned this year. One lesson has to be that you can't just hope and project when it comes to starting pitching across the board. You have to have some certainty. You have to have some leaders, and that's what they haven't had the entire year. Yeah, and I think uh, you made a good point there with Lester, and he was sort of the horse that could carry him through the bad times, and now they don't really have anyone to turn to, and they thought that would be Buck Holtz, and he is uh, you know, injured again and, and maybe won't even return again this season. And he, I think back to 2009 when he, he was you know, a couple years removed from his no-hitter. He was still uh, relatively young, and, and he seemed to be the up-and-coming guy who would sit at the front end of that rotation with Lester's for, year, for years to come and they had the opportunity back then I remember to trade him in the holiday deal and he was sort of the untouchable and now you look at his career and I mean I feel like from where he was as a kid coming up to where he's gone to now with all the injuries and uh, sort of the you know he's been hesitant to come back and play even if he wasn't 100% I feel like you really just have to say his career has been pretty much a disappointment to this place. Yeah it's it's, it's really been a weird career and, and really a weird existence because you know, I mentioned 2013, but that run, for those couple of months, he was the best pitcher in the American League. And then this year, you know, he, for a run there, he was right up there with the best pitchers in the American League as well. And then he gets hurt. Same sort of deal. And then, but then you have these terrible performances like last year. This, you know, there's no better way that this, they, it was a, it's been a roller coaster. But, and, and now, you know, through all of this mystery that was, is with Clay Buckles, and what should we make of him? And how should we define him? Well, we're kind of at a breaking point because now you have this club option for next year, $13 million. And this is really, really, you have to define what, what they think of Clay Buckles. If you want to think, if you think, hey, if you're all right with what he is, which is a, a pitcher who can pitch at elite level, but he's probably going to break down at some point, and you're all right with paying $13 million, knowing that at some point you're going to be disappointed, then great. But I think the one thing that they've taken away from this year, finally, is they're not going to say, this is our number one. This is the guy that everybody else is going to get behind. This is our next John Lester. I don't think they can afford to do that anymore. Yeah, and this rotation for the Red Sox, I mean, I remember in spring training, John Farrell said they didn't have one number one. They had five number ones. And to look at this rotation... I mean, everyone questioned it going into the season. I don't know how ownership, you know, Ben Sherrington, uh, John Farrell, I don't know how anyone was okay going into the season knowing that, you know, that was going to be their rotation and thinking that, I mean, on days when the offense wasn't going to perform, what were they going to do? It sort of reminds me of, you know, the mid-2000s Yankees before uh, they got it together in 09, and that was a team that just sort of built their team all around offense and didn't really care about pitching, but they were so good offensively that they could still win 95-100 games. But I don't know how anyone thought that, you know, Rick Porcello and Clay Buckholz and Wade Miley and Joe Kelly uh, were going to be the guys to carry this team. Yeah, well, those those he's the ace, I'm the ace T-shirts can be can be 
bought for a very reasonable rate right now because <laughs> they were wearing in spring training. And, and you know, I, I think that in a nutshell, they relied on projections and, and across the board, and they were projecting. And, and I'll say it again. I think the lesson to be learned here is that that's fine to project somewhat, but you have to have some sort of certainty. And that certainty, you're probably going to get bit in those, that contract somewhere down the line, but you still have to have it because they were projecting. And, and what they did really was the, the biggest projection they had was Porcello. I mean, Porcello had the really one good year last year. They liked what they saw in spring training. He has a great demeanor about him. Seems like he should be able to handle Boston. And then, boom, everything goes the other way. And now you're on the hook for a $20 million a year pitcher for the next four years. And, and you know, the one thing, if you want to identify one thing and this whole disaster that set everything in motion, it was not taking advantage of March 2014 when he could have signed John Lester to what he admits he would have taken five years, 120. He would have saved that headache and not having him, uh, not having that, not having a number one starter because he would have filled that. And also, John Lackey wanted to be traded because if John Lester was leaving, so he would have had John Lackey. And tell me, let me ask you this: Do you think this team would have contended with John Lester and John Lackey? I do. Yeah, I mean, they would have been <laughs> much better off than what they've gotten. And with Porcello now, you know, making the twenty, twenty-one million dollars for four years, and. That sort of puzzled me because they were so quick to give him the extension before he even pitched for the team. It reminded me of the beginning of 2010 in uh, you know, early April when they gave Beckett that four-year $68 million extension sort of out of nowhere. And uh, I don't know, it just seems like another questionable move now that has already come back to bite them. And here's Rick Purcello now on the DL with one of these, you know, I, I feel like uh, it's just a trip to the DL because he isn't performing. Yeah, well, and the thing with Beckett, he couldn't even make a case that was better because you had the performance under his belt, and he actually ended up performing somewhat. Now, maybe Rick Porcello goes out and performs at some point, but to come back to that, how they whiffed on Lester in that contract, well, they, they went into negotiations there and said, you know, we're going to start really low and work our way up instead of being aggressive and just getting it done. And then they get to Porcello, and they're just the opposite. They say, we're going to be aggressive out of the gate. We're not going to let you get the free agency. And you know why? Because you're 26 years old. And I, I, and this is it's probably a bigger conversation in baseball, but this whole thing of, like, pitchers breaking down, we understand. You sign a 30-year-old pitcher to a five-year contract, he's probably going to break down toward the end of it. We understand that. But that's what you have to do these days because you're going to have to get some sort of certainty because you're going to start – you're going to have some pitchers in your rotation who you actually have done this in the past. Well, offensively, the big contracts of Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez, and when they got those guys and the Yankees were busy, uh, you know, not really doing much at that point of the offseason, um, it just sort of felt like the Red Sox, uh, after a last-place finish last year, were going to bounce back and get right back into things, and I was nervous about it. And then, um, you know, I became less nervous about it because I remember those pictures of Pablo Sandoval in spring training and people <laughs> questioning his weight gain, and I, I started to talk to, uh, yeah, I know, you know, our, uh, usually on his podcast with Danny Picard and talk with him about could Carl Crawford, uh, I mean, could Pablo Sandoval become Carl Crawford 2.0, and then he has the Instagram, uh, you know, issue, and, and it just seems like those are two bad contracts, and going into the deadline the other day, there was, you know, rumors about a three-team deal with the Cubs and the Padres and the Red Sox, and I was just hoping someone wasn't going to bail them out again like the Dodgers did <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it, first of all, that three team deal was like fraudulent. There was nothing to it. And then you had, you know, then after that, then you had some rumors that maybe the Padres would take on some money, and and they weren't. Then they they had no interest in Sandoval, even though they were one of the three one of the three teams who were willing to pay Sandoval what he got. But he, he with with a Sandoval contract, it really, really. <laughs> It's really looking bad. It, it really looks terrible. And you talked about the Carl Crawford thing. There's never going to be anything as bad as how Carl Crawford handled Boston. But you, when you talked about that pitcher early on in spring training, I don't care about the pitcher. You know, he's fat. You know, he's always been fat, whatever. But the <laughs> thing was how he reacted to it. Very sensitive to it. Out of the gate. And, you know, in Boston, you, you read a lot. When you first get that first criticism, how you react, you get that first negativity or you don't do well, how you react, that's a big thing. And and you can only project how these guys are going to do in Boston. And so far, not only has Sandoval, you know, he's got the Instagram thing, he hasn't handled the whole thing really well, but he hasn't played well. And, and you know, I, it, it, he, he is what he is anyway. The postseason is kind of a mirage. He's a 730 OPS guy, whatever. He's a decent player to have on a good team. But he's been less than that. He hasn't even been that, and and that's that's a really tough thing to take, considering you figure that it's only going to get worse because you're you're exiting his prime, and and certainly you, when you exit your prime, you usually get a little more out of shape as well. Yeah, and I feel like with him, I mean, for them to tell him to to stop being a switch hitter, and with Hanley playing the worst left field in the majors, despite having the green monster there, uh, I mean, it, it really couldn't have gone worse for two for their top two paid players coming off the off season. Yeah, no, it, it, you know the Hanley thing too. It's it's you you. So the narrative with Hanley was he should be able to handle left field because he's an he plays shortstop and he's an athlete. Well, the problem was is that when he came to spring training, he no longer was an athlete. He was a behemoth. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't. He was. But like you watch him run around and you watch him go and cut off balls. You're like, this guy played shortstop a year ago, and he had totally changed his body type. And so he wasn't that athlete. He couldn't move. He wasn't, and, and when he was making mistakes, it wasn't aggressive mistakes. He was letting balls drop in front of him, which, you know, obviously drove the pitchers nuts. And he can only do that for so long before, you know, there's blowback. So <clears throat> the only way that you can really, like, justify that is if you're Hanley Ramirez, I mean, if you're Manny Ramirez at the plate, and Hanley wasn't that. He's had some pretty good runs, but certainly hasn't put up the production that justifies him making our losing losing runs in the field. So, you know, it's it is a tough situation for them. It really is. It's it this isn't going to be like the Dodgers. I don't think you have anything to worry about. I don't think any team is going to bail them out of this situation. They're just going to have to make do it. And really to me, you know, if you ask me which one is worse, I have to go with Sandoval because I think that Hanley's going to hit. Hanley Hanley can probably still hit some home runs along the line here and be that middle of the order guy. Sandoval is just an average player who isn't even playing average. <laughs> well, I always come back to 2013 because they that team, I just still, it still gets me angry thinking about the fact that they won the World Series because they really had no business. And you look around the seasons around them. I mean, in, in 2009, they, they were swept. In 2010, they didn't make it. 2011, they collapsed. 2012, they were last place. 2013, they win the World Series. 2014, they're last place. And they're last place again now. And you look at, and I know Larry Lucchino now with the reports coming that he's stepping down as CEO. And uh, and you look at Ben Sherrington. I mean, 
He's got now four years under his belt as GM, three last place finishes in a World Series, and to me, that's just one fluky, crazy, you know, hit the hit a lottery ticket parlay. Whereas the, the three seasons around him seem to be, you know, more of his abilities as a GM. Yeah, well, listen to me when he talks GMs, it's always the results business. When Theo's getting filled here at different times, I said, listen, he's, he's won, he's won World Series. He's, he usually makes the playoffs. He wins. So it's a results business. So going off of that, Sherrington you know, hasn't passed, passed the grade. So now what what happens to him? How how do they fix things? Cause you're right. I mean, three out of four years, last place finishes, I don't know how anyone can just sit there and say, we're going to stay the course. You can't do that. So now they're Latinos out. Sam Kennedy, who is more of a business guy, more of a sales guy, is in a president, said he's not going to interfere with the, with the player player acquisition sort of things, which Lucchino was pretty, pretty invested in. So how are they going to do it? Firstly, what I think they're going to do, I think they're going to go out and get like a president of baseball operations. And the name I want you to remember is Dave Dave Dombrowski. Dave Dombrowski has a history with John Henry. That way they can keep Sherrington, which a lot of people in the organization, who a lot of people in the organization like, and and keep him. We've seen this sort of dynamic with other teams, the Cubs, the Dodgers, you know, the White Sox. So I, I honestly think that because they have to do something, that's probably the move they're going to make. I keep hearing uh, Red Sox fans bring up Jason Veritek and the idea that he should be the next manager, and I feel like a lot of Yankees fans in 2008, uh, after Torrey left, wanted Don Mattingly to become the manager over Joe Girardi, and there is a fine line between bringing back a, a former icon because if things don't go well, it's harder to get them out. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, is that a realistic thing, or is that just you know Red Sox fans uh, going over the top thinking that Jason Veritek's going to come change the entire culture of the team? I think it's Red Sox fans doing exactly what you just said. I think it's, <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, he's been around. He, he's actually put on a uniform to throw throw some BP the other day. He, he's, he's just around. So people see him around, and they, they jump to that conclusion and say, well, I like that idea. I like the idea of Jason Veritek being the manager. But, you know, first of all, it's, we, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy thing to jump into. I don't know what Jason Veritek wants to do. He's been doing a lot of different things in the organization. But you know, he hasn't certainly a big part of managing in Boston, and maybe the biggest part is being able to hold a clubhouse together, being able to communicate, and doing those things. And when Jason Veritek was the player here and he was the captain of this team, he wasn't a captain who was going to every corner of the clubhouse making sure everything was all right. I mean, he was a captain who led by example. He wasn't a communicator. He knows the game. So, you know, listen, I mean, maybe he'll become a manager and be very successful, but I don't know if if anyone, if you drop any manager in here and be good because the roster's a mess. I think that's the biggest thing. You have to fix, fix the roster. You have to find a top-of-the-rotation pitcher. You have to find a bullpen that can throw more than 85 miles an hour. You have <laughs> to figure out ways to play to, to, to make these guys with big contracts work while getting the young guys going. So, you know, the roster is the most important thing. I would, I honestly would not have a problem if they brought that back John Farrell. And I know that goes against the grain of a lot of people. But to me, it's like he was dealt a really, really crappy hand here. And it, you think about think about that. Hanley Ramirez playing left field. And he's letting balls drop in front of him all the time. As a manager, what do you do? What do you do? 
you know that your better team is a, a better defensive outfielder out there, but you can't do anything because David Ortiz sitting at DH. It's a tough situation. Well, when you look at this team, and, and it's not like they had crazy people they could have dealt at the deadline, but aside from Shane Victorino, I mean, the, the fact that Napoli you know, was hitting even a little bit and they probably could have paid a lot of his salary to get rid of him just to get something, or Koji Ohara, I mean, there's no reason for the Red Sox to have a closer at this point in the season. So did it puzzle you as to the fact that you know this team's pretty much still intact after July 31st? Not so much. It's kind of It was a weird deadline, certainly one of the weirdest I've ever been through because like you said, the players that you're talking about who are on the last year of the contracts aren't going to get you anything back. And Napoli started hitting after the All-Star break, but it's almost more worth it to see if he keeps hitting, to see if you get a little more value. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And then, you know, Victorino had already been dealt. Then the other last year guys are, you know, Diazza and, and Breslow and Masterson. And, and so none of those guys are going to do anything in terms of the only thing that you have to worry about is clogging up playing time for the guys who you have to evaluate for next year. And with Koji, the thing with Koji is that unless they're going to get back something significant, and I don't mean a boatload of players or anything, but something that you can really use next year, then I don't think you can deal them because you still need a, you need relief pitchers for next year. You need a closer for next year. I mean, he's part of the solution, believe it or not, at 40 years old. He's not part of the problem. And, and we've seen what happens when they start chasing closers. It's not, it can be not a pretty sight. So, yeah, not a lot. I don't think they really could do at this deadline. Well, uh, David Ortiz has another uh, 20 home run season under his belt. And while his, you know, his, his hitting line isn't the greatest or isn't, you know, representative of what he's done the rest of his career, um, the Red Sox, you know, they do have him for the next two years on $10 million club option. So I'm thinking probably sometime in, in February or March we'll, we'll start to hear him complaining about the fact that he's underpaid again. <laughs> well, you know, so they have, they have the vesting option for next year, and then they have another vesting option for – for the following year, and and so it was built so he wouldn't complain. Um, I think that, to be honest with you, I think that David kind of it petered out from complaining about rosters. I mean, he might complain about other stuff, but I mean, he complained about contracts. And you know, it's it's for him, it's it's and for him, for Pedroia, for these guys who who have been here a while and are used to something else. It's obviously a frustrating time, and and David knows is is coming to an end here. It just will be interesting to see when he defines the end. Will it be after next year? Will will he try to do it for another year? Because you know he's having a decent year. I think last time I checked, his OPS was over 800, maybe you know hovering right around there. But you you would certainly take that for the amount of home runs. I mean that's a valuable player. That's something that they really need. Obviously not hitting against lefties, but they still really need that. And so you know I I I think that. Probably that he he's facing the the reality of it. Not so much I gotta make more money. I gotta make more money, but just how many years more years am I gonna play? Well, uh, coming into this series here, I knew that that series before the All Star break at Fenway when Eduardo Rodriguez was starting, and the Yankees had never seen him, and he's a young lefty, and pretty much anyone who throws left-handed, whether they're a major league baseball player or not, could beat the Yankees. Uh, if it's the first time they're seeing him, so now. They have to see him this week, and they get to see Henry Owens in his major league debut. So, uh, what can you tell us about those two? Because this this should be a you know an easy at least two and one series for the Yankees, if not another sweep. But those two scare me, and the fact that the Blue Jays might make up some ground here before they come to town on Friday. Well, I'm going to make you a little feel. I'm going to make you feel a little bit better that 
that Henry Owens, Henry Owens, so he's pitching the opener, and he's been he puts up good minor league numbers. He's been pitching pretty well lately. Had a terrible walk problem earlier in the year, and he's a big guy. You're gonna watch him and say that that motion looks a lot like going going back and dating myself, but Chuck Finley. And and the thing is though, he doesn't throw that hard, and, and so. If he does is not locating his fastball, he's a really good curveball. But still, he's he's the type of guy who I can see maybe being a little unsettled in his first outing, especially at Yankee Stadium. It might get a little unnerved. So you know, I I, I think that it's worth putting him out there. It's worth keeping pitching to see what he's got. But if I were the Yankees, he was certainly there's other lefties. This is not Eduardo Rodriguez they're facing for the first time because Rodriguez is going to come at you and have that exploding fastball, which he did. But, you know, in, in regards to Rodriguez, Rodriguez is a guy who, when he faces a team for the second time, I think you can go look at the numbers, you know, not nearly as good. So between those two things, I hope it made you feel better at it in this series. <laughs> well, uh, from from going to college up in Boston and being a freshman back in 04 when, when everything went poorly, um, you know, I've seen the, the good Red Sox years, I've seen the bad ones, and I've seen how – Boston is really a harder place to play than New York because there's only one team in each of the major sports there, so everyone focuses on everything. All the writers, reporters go after you know each player more drastically, dramatically than they do here. For you, you know, covering this team now that you've covered world championship teams, last place teams, another last place team right now here. You know, what is the you know the difference for you in covering them? I mean, there's certainly more to talk about when things are going uh, you know poorly, as as is the case with sports radio. But for you, I mean, to have to write about this team, uh, is it easier? When things are going badly because there's more negative things to touch on? No, because, you know, and I felt this way starting in 2011 where you got to September of 2011 and they just kept losing and losing and losing. And you felt like, how many times can I describe how they're losing? <laughs> I mean, really, and, and, and that's how it felt. Well, Valentine, it was different. That 2012 season, it was just different because Bobby would always do something to, to make things entertaining. But last year was sort of the same way. Ah, oh, they're just you know it's losing, and and then this year, and, and I've told people, I love covering baseball because in baseball there are so many different things that you can talk about, so many different things you can write about. But when they're losing like this, and you like you said it, when it's negative in Boston, it is negative in Boston, and nobody wants to hear about you know how how Eduardo Rodriguez is throwing his slider more. You know, no, no, no one wants to hear that. So, so you're you're pigeonholed to just fighting different ways to to really feed into the negativity and 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 advance the negativity. And, and the, now that we're through the trade deadline, it's become even more challenging because you know everything's deflategate, everything. Oh and it's like, So, 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 what are you going to do? So, what are you going to do in terms of like covering the Red Sox? You know, we we had the Lucino stuff, so we write about that. But you know, Henry Owen starts, but you know, Henry Owen start is going to be is going to trump whatever is Chris Mortensen talking about the flaking. No way. <laughs> so so it's going to be a challenge for the last couple months. Yeah, and I feel like you know, like I said with Boston, I mean the fact that because it's uh, such a sports heavy town, because there's only one team for every sport, and everyone likes those teams. There's no division there like there is here with Yankees, Mets, or Rangers, Islanders, Devils, or Giants, Jets. Uh, 
it is it's it's a different element. I feel like everyone always talks about the big stage in New York and stuff, but from a coverage standpoint, because of the radio coverage, the the papers up there, the websites, it, it's it, I I just feel like you have to live there at some point to really understand it because it is a more challenging environment, at least from a player perspective. I can imagine, um, you know, living and playing in Boston. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 definitely a different dynamic, and you know, it's 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 just. It, 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 you know, I think Nick Punto once said it. I think it's it's from 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 seven to ten, Boston's the best place to be. I mean, you're just playing baseball. But then outside, if you're losing, it's, it's a terrible, terrible place. <laughs> and, you know, and, and how guys handle it too. I mean, that's that's a big deal. It's it, uh, it's just you know you you can't tell until they get here, and and that's and that's one of the problems they're facing with some of the guys that we're talking about. Well, we touched on Bobby Valentine a few times, and I feel like I need to have him on the podcast to thank him for putting Andrew Miller in the bullpen. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Is he going to hold up? Is Andrew Miller going to hold up? I hope so because, I mean, you know, going into the offseason, I thought they had to not only re-sign Robertson but sign Miller as well so that it could be Robertson, Miller, and Batantis because the the starting rotation was so shaky, and they sort of tried to recreate that last week by making a move for Kimbrell. But, I mean, Andrew Miller, he's perfect in save opportunities. He's been lights out, and I feel like I, just like Batantis, I'm sort of surprised when someone reaches base. I mean, their the their batting averages against are insane. You know, right around 100, and it's I'm shocked when someone gets a hit. I'm you know startled when someone gets on base against them. Yeah, well, it's a pretty good dynamic. I would like to see. I wanted to see. I want to see them get one more of those relievers, a Kimbrel or something like that, just to, <laughs> just to really really spice things up. Well, uh, before we go, I mean, six Augusts ago, right around this time, they had that four-game series uh, in New York, the Yankees-Red Sox battling for first place. Uh, we had that 15-inning game started by Beckett and Burnett. They had the Sunday night baseball comeback, and the Yankees swept those four games. And uh, you look now, six years later, the both teams have won a championship since then. Uh, they both had some down years. The Red Sox having yet another down year, and it seems like, you know, back in '04, it seemed like these teams would play every year in the playoffs. Uh, you know, going forward, and they haven't since. It's sort of remarkable because now with the new format and the way they could have faced each other in the division series, uh, another year is going to go by here without these two teams meeting again in October. Yeah, and we had that series right before the All Star break, and we thought, okay, now you have some important games, and it's just not working out. And and you know, how about the fact that it's still it's stunning that you have. In an All Star game with for the first time in the history of the All Star game without a starter on the Yankees or Red Sox. Now that's I think that says a lot. Certainly about the Red Sox does anyway. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a weird time. So maybe we'll get to it another time. All right, Rob. Thanks for your time and coming on and uh, giving us a look at, at what's been going on in Boston as they head here to the Bronx for three games. And uh, they still have a couple series left, so maybe we'll talk again if uh, you know if things change if. Uh, if, if God forbid the Red Sox were to ever go on some insane run, or if they were to spoil the Yankees' uh, chances at winning their first division title in three years, uh, we'll talk again down the road. All right, awesome. I appreciate you having me.